Abriel Talkers, first things first. Do I sound a little bit better today? We want to give a shout out to our Real Talk patrons, our Patreon supporters for helping us invest in new microphones. These things are the cat's ass. And for you podcast listeners, I'm super excited to let you know the quality of your favorite show has just leveled up even further. In other news, we've never seen a campaign video quite like Sarah Hoffman's. The former deputy premier, now Alberta NDP leadership hopeful, introduces herself as fat, sassy, and bad at pretending to be something she's not. This over rock and roll guitars before promising she'll continue to work her fucking ass off. Yeah, she's got everybody's attention, but what's her plan for the party and if she's elected premier? Let's find out. This is a Relay Project. Real Talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. And then there were three. You probably saw it over the weekend. Former Deputy Premier, former Health Minister, the MLA for Edmonton, Glenora, Sarah Hoffman, tossing her hat in the ring. She wants to lead Alberta's NDP into the next election. We sit down one-on-one with MLA Hoffman coming up in just a moment. And that's going to include the debut, the world premiere of her campaign video as we introduce her. Now, typically, this isn't the show that just rolls candidates' videos in their entirety. You know that if you watch us, if you listen to us on the regular. Number one, they're not paying us enough. And number two, who wants to sit through an entire video of a candidate going through all the reasons why they think they're the best? But Hoffman's video is very different. And I think you're going to enjoy it. That's coming up in 30 seconds. But first, we wanted to send a quick message out to those of you that are watching or listening to this show. And you're kind of right now in a state of flux. You're unhappy at your job. Quite frankly, you're not making enough money. You may not even know how you're going to cover your next round of bills. And the biggest problem, as far as you perceive it, is you don't have a post-secondary education. So how attractive are you to job hunters, to job seekers, to those that are handing out the new job contracts? Well, if you're listening for a, or looking rather for a rewarding and high-paying career without a university degree, you can get started as an insurance professional with Business Career College. You could soon be making upwards of 90000 annually, and all you need to do is take an approved course and pass your licensing exam. Business Career College offers industry-leading approved courses in life, property, casualty insurance. Plus, they've got expert instructors that are passionate about helping you get started with your new career. And there's a great offer. Because you're hearing about this on Real Talk, you can save 15% on any Business Career College insurance course. Just use the code REALTALK. That's all one word, REALTALK, when you get started today at businesscareercollege.com. Sarah Hoffman live in one minute. But first, you're going to see this video here before you see it anywhere else. Here's her campaign video. Women like me aren't supposed to run for office. I'm fat. I'm sassy. And I am really bad at pretending to be something that I'm not. I grew up in a small town and I saw firsthand how conservatives harmed the school where my dad was a principal and my mom taught kindergarten. After I trained to be a teacher, conservatives tried to close a bunch of schools in my community. So I ran for the school board and I won against an incumbent trustee and then I won again. I ran for the legislature against a conservative cabinet minister and I won again and again 
and again. I get the job and I get the job done. And I work my fing ass off. Sorry, mom. We built literally hundreds of schools. I built the Calgary Cancer Center and I work to build our party right across this province. I am so proud of my record as school trustee, as chair of the Edmonton Public School Board, as Minister of Health, Deputy Premier, and Deputy Leader of our party, the Alberta NDP. Alberta needs our hard work and NDP values to meet the challenges we all face. Top of that list for me are health, climate, and housing. Whether you're a farmer or an actor or a welder, we all need healthcare we can rely on. We all need a home we can afford, and we need air that kids can breathe. Someone told me the other day that you can't talk about climate change in Alberta, and I say, if not now, then when? And if not us, then who? I'm Sarah Hoffman, and I'm running to be your leader and the next Premier of Alberta. Join me. We're gonna do great things, and we're gonna have a great time. <laughs> there you have it as we Greet uh, Sarah Hoffman and welcome you to the Real Talk studio. I'm fat, I'm sassy, and I'm really bad at pretending to be something I'm not. Uh, yeah, I'm not even going to try. I think that uh, it's important for people to get to know the, the people who want to lead their party and the province and uh, don't try to pretend to be something you're not. Yeah, your, your coffee mug for those that are listening to this on the podcast, your mug through the video. Don't think I didn't notice. Wake up, <laughs> kick ass and repeat. Uh, we're allowed to say the F-bomb. I know that your advisors would say you shouldn't on your launch video, but you say I work my fucking ass off. I do. Which typically candidates don't say as they're campaigning. And then you got this rock and roll guitar driving the whole thing. Uh, Real talker Graham is tuned in on our live chat. He says, well, that got my attention. Oh, I guess good. that was the point. That was the point. Like, we're not here to be boring. We're not here to give you some repackaged uh, campaign that you've already seen from somebody else. Uh, I'm here to talk about who I am and the issues that I think are affecting Albertans most and to apply my NDP values to those. Is it more difficult to campaign for the leadership of a party than in a general election? For, for People have to search maybe for nuance when they go, what's the difference, let's say, between Sarah Hoffman and Kathleen Ganley, a lot of similarities there. You have to work harder to point out the differences. You know, I, I love Kathleen. I love Rocky. Uh, I uh, enjoy working with them very much. And I think there are many things that uh, pull us together. And I'm confident that after the uh, this campaign and when the new leader is chosen, that we'll be united again. But our job is to show people who we are and what the differences are, including policy differences. And that might be a little bit uncomfortable, but I think it's important that uh, we, we be really open and honest about what our values are. Um, th there have been rumblings. Rachel Notley would, would never admit it. And, uh, you know, but, but a lot of people were kind of wondering, is, is she going to endorse a candidate or is she going to indicate a favorite? And she has not done that. And people close to her say she's not going to do that. I love this kind of like demure, demure smile on your face. I bet you're working for that, for, for that endorsement. How much would that mean to you? You know, I really respect leaders when when they have served their time uh, doing so with integrity and making sure that the race has tons of integrity. I'm incredibly proud of the fact that she chose me as her deputy premier and deputy leader for the last eight years. I think I've learned a lot from her. Uh, and uh, I hope that uh, the the fact that I think she chose me doesn't mean that I'm a, a carbon copy of her. I think she chose me because I'm not afraid to be myself and to push back. And now I get a chance to show Albertans uh, who Sarah Hoffman, the leader, could be. Did you feel like, I mean, has this been a long time coming? Like from, from the time that you, uh, for people that don't know your background, you were you were the chair of, of Edmonton's Public sure School was, Board for yeah. quite some time. Obviously, education's been important to you, though it's not in your three pillars. And we'll get to that in a second. Yeah. You mentioned health, climate, and housing. Why not education? We'll go there in a second. But but has this been always your intention to, to ultimately lead this party? Do you feel 
like this is the logical next step for your career? My intention was to work my ass off and help Rachel be premier again and hopefully earn a seat at her cabinet table. And when that didn't happen in this last election, by just 1,500 votes, uh, I think all of us were um, pretty shook. Uh, I think we that that was my plan was to to be you know uh, earn a seat at Rachel's cabinet table again. When that didn't happen, I sat down, took some time over the summer. A number of people approached me about running, and uh, and I decided, heck yeah, let's go for it. Let's make sure that we have a chance to talk about the things that we didn't talk about in the campaign that I think could have earned us at least fifteen hundred more votes. Uh, Justin, by the way, I want to keep popping into the live chat here. Yeah. He says, I agree that normal campaign videos are dry and I tune out almost immediately. Um, he says, even I even uh, here's a shot across. So he said, I even like Racky Pancholi, but her video was just more of the same. A lot of people have been really pumping up her video, had like half a million views in 24 hours. So that's an interesting comment. Uh, Darren says, I'm sad education didn't make Hoffman's top three. It's a mess right now. Why not? You know, everyone who knows me knows education's foundational. My parents were both teachers. I trained as a teacher, did a master's, uh, served on the Edmonton Public School Board. Uh, rest assured, education is foundational for me. But I would say the top three things that we haven't applied our NDP values to aggressively enough are health, climate, and housing. And uh, and I want to make sure that I have a chance to talk about those things as well. Uh, I think everybody knows how important education is to me. It's foundational. I will have things to say about education, but I really want uh, people who are NDP members or thinking about buying a membership to think about health, climate, and housing and how we can be leaders on those three as well. Okay, your, your critics or those that would be nervous about an NDP government will say Hoffman's promising to apply NDP values to healthcare. She's going to spend another $10 billion on a system that's clearly not working. You have been health minister, mm -hmm. and respectfully, you didn't fix health. I guess a lot of people wonder if it's even possible to fix healthcare, but but where do you start? What do NDP values on healthcare look like and what's your plan? So just to reflect a little bit on what I actually was health minister, every major municipality in Alberta, you could get a family doctor. That certainly isn't the case today. We stopped the harassment of people outside of abortion clinics. We made sure that if you needed to access the abortion pill, that it was fully funded, the first place anywhere in Canada. We made sure that if you needed PrEP, if you were at risk of contracting HIV, that was fully funded and available universally. We cut wait times for breast cancer significantly. Uh, we built the expansion for the emergency room at the Misericordia. We made a commitment to build the South Hospital that uh, you know the UCP has been floundering on, and we built the Calgary Cancer Center. So I think there are a lot of things we did in healthcare that I'm incredibly proud of and looking forward to talking about. Uh, but absolutely, we need to make sure that we have a commitment to publicly funded and publicly delivered healthcare right across this province. And I don't think you should have to mortgage the farm or sell your house if you get cancer. I think that's wrong, and I'm not going to uh, let the UCP keep playing games with privatization. I think it's important that we. Uh, expand and protect public health care. M8 can in our live chat says when Sarah was health minister, it was the calmest time in healthcare in forever. Uh, can you put a value on calm in health? Uh, I think some people might suggest that the opposite of that might be chaotic. It and we do see chaos in the healthcare system provincially. We see it across the country. How do you maintain calm or restore calm? Well, I think number one, you show respect to the to the experts that you're working with. My background, as you know, was education. And when Rachel told me I was going to be your health minister, uh, I thanked her and I asked her why she thought I'd be successful in that. Because, again, I'd spent my whole career. You figured on you'd be education minister. I sure did. 
I sure did. And she said, you're going to be health. And when I said why, she said, because I don't want somebody to step up who thinks they have all the answers. I want somebody who's going to do the research, apply our values, and make sure they're working with the experts to actually come up with solutions. And we did. We uh, reached collective agreements with doctors that gave us uh, stability and, and consistent access. We made sure that nurses, uh, we protected them. When oil was $20 a barrel, we didn't see catastrophic layoffs. We had the backs of workers, and we did so by showing them respect and working with experts to make sure that we were making evidence-based decisions. We weren't interfering in public health and telling uh, you know, public health officials that they can't use the word vaccine when they're talking about COVID or, or at that time we weren't talking about COVID, but, but the flu, uh, the flu vaccine. You know, we, we let experts make the decisions how to get the information out, and we didn't try to put politics in between patients and their public health care. Uh, when you were kind of rattling off your list of things that you're proud of uh, when you were health minister, you go, we got that cancer center built, which is big. Yep. Then you talked about access to abortion clinics, yeah. protected access, in other words, away from protesters. And then you talked about the abortion bill. Two mentions in one sentence. If you look at what's happening worldwide, you look at what's happening in the United States. And, and I think people feel like something's coming up here in Canada as well. It's an uncomfortable topic for a lot of people to discuss access to abortion. Uh, you could just call it women's health. Why is that so important to you right now in Alberta? I think women's rights are under attack. I think human rights are under attack. If you look at what's happening with trans kids and the kind of vitriol that's being pointed towards them and to their parents, I think it's important that we talk about human rights and that we be unafraid and, and not wait for polling to tell us whether we're on the right side of an issue or not. I think that protecting women, protecting trans kids, these are foundational to who I am and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna pretend to be somebody I'm not. I'm gonna stand up for human rights. How do you feel about the carbon tax? Let's get into it. Sure. Um, I want to start by just saying the climate leadership plan when we brought it in, I thought was revolutionary. I thought it was going to make a really big difference. And absolutely it has on methane reductions. We've got, you know, uh, Danielle Smith traveling the world talking about how great we are at reducing methane. Thank you to the NDP uh, climate leadership plan. We've phased out coal powered electricity. Again, something that happened in the climate leadership plan. Tier or the industrial carbon rate has been successful. We've seen uh, it have a really positive impact. But the consumer carbon tax was taken over after you know, we lost the election in 2019. It was taken over by the federal government. And then the federal government uh, undermined confidence in that carbon tax, particularly when they decided to look at polling and let it decide who they were going to exempt from having to pay it. And when they exempted the East Coast, it absolutely undermined the whole thing. And I think it's important that we Albertans want us to act on climate change. They want us to be leaders on this. Uh, this tool is broken. Uh, Justin Trudeau and and I would say the conservative uh, and NDP governments uh, haven't uh, given it the, the legs that it needed. It definitely doesn't have public confidence. So I don't think uh, we should continue with a consumer-based carbon tax. When you talk about that, are you acknowledging that you're forecasting or expecting a, a change in leadership at the federal level? I mean, is, is, is all of this conversation around, you know, getting rid of a consumer carbon tax or reimagining a consumer carbon tax under the assumption that Pierre Polyev is going to be prime minister? You know, if I were any federal leader, I'd be looking at what Canadians are telling us about the price on carbon. And I would think they would they're telling you that it's broken. So I think no matter who the prime minister is, that they should probably roll their sleeves up and get to work on a real solution. And that's what my plan is. If if I become the premier of Alberta, if I'm leader of Alberta's NDP, I'm going to be fighting for, uh, you know, Alberta led solutions on climate change because I know that uh, we're looking at catastrophic drought. Here we are only in February and farmers are terrified about how dry it's going to be this spring where uh, I know I 
I have a go bag ready in case we are in, on a fire evacuation notice. And so do a lot of Alberta families because of how crazy the wildfire seasons have been. Uh, we shouldn't have to live this way. And kids should be able to go outside and breathe the air on a summer's day without, uh, you know, the number of indoor recesses. I'm sure you heard about it at home too. Uh, last May and June, how many days kids had to stay inside because the air wasn't safe to breathe. We need leadership on climate. Uh, I don't care who the prime minister is. Albertans uh, deserve a government here in Alberta and federally that's going to fight for them and make sure that we're addressing climate change seriously. So you're, you're not alone in this. Racky Pancholi comes on this show a few days ago and yeah. she says the same thing and it made a lot of waves. Obviously, a lot of people paid attention when she talked about an alternative to the to the so-called consumer carbon tax. And it's interesting because it pissed off people on the right and it pissed off people on the left. People on the right are going, yep. well, where was the NDP when we were saying get rid of the carbon tax for years? Why didn't the NDP support us? We've been saying this for a long time. And then people on the left are going, oh, so we're just not taking climate action seriously anymore. I guess you got to be careful in the messaging around this. Do you run the risk of alienating everybody with something like this? Or is the game plan that you're going to bring everybody on board? That's the game plan because it's too important not to. So climate is one of the three pillars. We're, we're building a climate um, policy team that's going to be rolling out some very aggressive and specific policy announcements. And, uh, and rest assured, climate is one of my top priorities. Uh, but we need tools that Albertans can be excited about and feel full buy-in. And that is not the case with the consumer carbon tax. Uh, specifically when they exempted the East Coast uh, forms of home heating, they completely undermined the whole thing. And we need something that Albertans can be united behind and excited for. Yeah, it, it's interesting. There's polling that suggests that it's not that people don't care about climate. And I know that, that folks that are on the front lines that are fighting wildfires or that are dealing with flooding yeah. or going, what on earth? They're sounding the alarm. But if you look at polling uh, politically, affordability for people is top of the list. And, yeah. and 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 as that issue becomes exacerbated and very much more real for people, in other words, we're talking dollars and cents every two weeks, yeah. making tough choices on what you can pay for and what you can't. Climate does bump down the list of people's top priorities, which is very interesting. I don't know if you have to work harder to get people to care about it or maybe as a politician, Maybe you have to talk about it a tiny little bit less, but still look like you're taking it seriously. I mean, how do you find the balance? I would love to have been in on the meeting where you said we need three pillars yeah. and only three. Yeah. So what are the three going to be? That's why housing's third, because it is absolutely the biggest expense that most people uh, are, are struggling with right now. We have 100,000 Calgarians who are at risk of losing their homes. That is terrifying. And, and when it comes to affordability, uh, keeping a roof over your head is the number one thing that people talk about feeling the pressure and pinch on. Alberta, in Alberta, specifically in Calgary and Edmonton, rents are going up faster than anywhere else in the country. This is not fair. It's not sustainable. We need to make sure that we bring in temporary rent caps. And while we do that, that we actually build affordable housing and get enough stock uh, as well as permanent supportive housing so that people um, can get off the streets, can get housed and can have a better quality of life. Temporary. I mean, income tax was supposed to be temporary to fund Canada's war efforts. Politicians, when they say temporary adjustments to markets or anything involving people's money, folks get nervous. Uh, would you make a commitment that said we're applying a, a rent cap, an increase cap uh, in Alberta, but give a date? when it'll be lifted? Because a lot of people will see this as market interference and there'll be a lot of property owners and you can hear all the tiny violins start to play, but it is a real thing. Yeah. A lot of property owners whose costs are up in a big way and they have no choice, they'll tell you, but to pass those costs along to their renters. This is a contentious issue. I know you know that. 
I absolutely support the bill that Janice Irwin's brought forward around a four-year plan, and the last two years are tied to inflation. I think that's fair and reasonable. Peter Law, he'd brought in something very similar when, you know, he was the premier and nobody called him a socialist. He was uh, responding to an urgent crisis and needed to make sure that we could kept people in their homes and made sure that we were building more stocks. So um, that's why I want it to be for four years. I think we can build a ton of housing right across Alberta, including the house I grew up in in Canuso was built through that Alberta uh, first time home buyer program. We weren't the first people to buy it, but it brought more stock into our community. And eventually we bought that house from somebody who had been one of those first time home buyers. So um, there's lots of ways that we can address the housing crisis. But I think right now we are in uh, a state where we need to put a pause on uh, rates going up for folks who can't afford to keep uh, a rental. That's not okay. Uh, being housed out of your own city is not a solution. So um, being priced out of your own city. So we need to make sure that we have temporary rent caps and that we're building enough stock to make sure that we can address the affordability crisis. I ran into a friend at lunch the other day and he's a land developer. And uh, we started talking about housing. I said, can you believe, I had just done an interview with somebody. I said, can you believe that people are legitimately forecasting that Alberta's population will hit 10 million uh, within 30 years? Like by 2050, people say Alberta's population is gonna be 10 million. It represents a doubling of the population and yeah. there are obvious implications. I don't need to explain it to you. Hospitals, infrastructure, schools, fire halls, housing, etc. So I said through your lens, like as a land developer, I said, what do you need from different levels of government? He didn't even pause. He said they need to get out of the way. You can't say that, though, as an elected representative, let alone as a premier. So what would be your plan or what would Alberta, the Alberta government do about that? What role would the Alberta government play? You know, we've tried to leave this up to the free market for as long as I've been alive and it hasn't worked. So I think we need to make sure that we have uh, those NDP values guiding some of these decisions. So I think we can work with our big cities and with our mid-sized cities and with small towns and housing management bodies to make sure that we're investing in more uh, publicly owned uh, long-term affordable housing, as well as making sure that seniors and uh, folks who are on the streets have safe places to live. Uh, permanent supportive housing works. Uh, we've seen that we are, I, I think most Edmontonians and Calgarians, when they see how many people are living on the streets in their communities, are ashamed. And they know that we can do better as a society. And I believe it. And it is cheaper to put people in permanent supportive housing with a social worker and a, a therapist than it is to uh, put people in jail or have them hang out in the emergency department or overdosing outdoors. It's not dignified and it's not uh, humane. For people that don't know where Canuso yeah. is, can, can you just briefly... Uh, give us a sense of where it is. How many people lived there when you were growing up there? Well, yeah. Tell us about this place. I always thought it was 300, but the internet says it's been pretty consistently 200. So I think okay. we, we maybe rounded people. up. Yeah. Everybody knows everybody. <laughs> Absolutely. And everybody's business too. Yeah. Um, so it's that three hours north of here. It's between Slave Lake and High Prairie, just south of Lesser Slave Lake. Um, Lots of energy workers up there. Who, what, what's the main employer? You know, it's a mix. There's a lot of folks who work. We have a great home hardware. It's called the Mercantile. Uh, there's a number of folks who work there, uh, the grocery store, the school, but lots Lots of logging, lots of oil and gas, and lots of farming. Mm. Um, you know, like uh, Alberta's economy, number one sector, oil and gas, but number two is agriculture, number three is forestry. Uh, and all of these areas need us to act urgently on climate change so that we can support and have, uh, you know, a sustainable economy in a variety of sectors. They're also the industries that often bristle uh, at talk of climate change, right? Yeah. Alberta Girl in our live chat says Hoffman needs to do two things if she wants to make gains in rural Alberta. Address the sewer rats comment. I feel like you've addressed it, uh, but we'll talk about it. And number two, talk about the role that she played in 
Bill 6. This is basically sure. the farm worker safety legislation that I think most NDP MLA's cabinet ministers, you know, circa 2015 to 2019 will acknowledge presented an optics problem. That was probably Rachel Notley said to me on this show, that's when the honeymoon officially ended. That was the, that was a tough lesson in communication and, and legislation. Uh, the sewer rats comment, Bill 6 how do you reach out to rural Alberta? How do you get those votes? Because if you can make gains in rural Alberta, you can make gains, period. You know that. Absolutely. And I, I want to start uh, by talking a little bit about Calgary because we showed up big time for Calgary over the last four years. Rachel was there pretty much every week. I was there regularly door knocking as were a number of other folks. We got great candidates and we ran a great campaign. And as a result, we won the popular vote and the majority of seats in Calgary. When you show up, People get to know you, they like you, they vote for you. It's time we show up for rural Alberta. Um, we're not gonna take Edmonton or Calgary for granted, but we need to make sure that we're in the mid-sized cities as well as in the rural communities. So uh, that's one thing I wanna say about that. And I do wanna respond to um, uh, the two points that were raised with great respect. Um, when I said those words that I'm not even gonna repeat on this show, hmm. uh, I didn't like the way they sounded coming out of my mouth. I went back to my office, I thought about it. Nobody asked me to apologize. I went back into the legislature and I apologize because it's not who I am. I might talk about working my ass off, but um, but I don't like, uh, even if you're rebel media, I don't want to call you names. And uh, You mean you won't say the word sewer rats, but you will say the words rebel media? <laughs> you, can, you can try those two together. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Ryan. Uh, that's that's uh, that's going to be a lot of fun. Um, so um, so I apologize for that, and I and I absolutely mean the apology. And and you know, uh, uh, yeah, I regret it. So the second one was about Bill Six, and uh, absolutely, we had a real problem with um, leading with our chin and being Lisa Simpson on this one. Uh, when Bill Six came forward to the cabinet table, I was thinking about the temporary foreign worker hanging out at the bull auction wearing tennis shoes. Um, but nobody was calling us on us to bring that legislation forward. We were we were we were trying to be proactive and thinking about all these problems that needed to be solved. But absolutely, uh, my commitment is to focusing on the three pillars that I've identified here and working with Albertans to identify other problems as they come up. Uh, but you know, my real committed focus, obviously, education is foundational. But health, climate, and housing, I think, deserve our full attention. And I think we can make real action if we uh, are, are incredibly focused on these three issues. Mm. Uh, how important, like this presence in Calgary, um, yeah. obviously, uh, I, I, pardon me, I don't remember how many seats your party had in Calgary going into the election, but I, you got 14 now, yeah. which is the majority. Uh, like you said, more votes in Calgary than the UCP, which for a lot of people was kind of like, a, I think as the dust was settling on that election, people were looking through, they're going, oh, wow. Because mm -hmm. that was kind of the thing, like Calgary's the battleground. NDP's got to win in Calgary. And then you did. Yeah. Uh, but then still didn't win the election, but by just barely. Yeah. And so now people are going, well, how's the NDP going to win the next election? And some folks believe, I am not among them, but some people believe the leader has to be from Calgary. What would you say to those people? You know, some people are telling me the next leader has to be from Canuso. So <laughs> uh, I grew up in rural Alberta. I think we need to create uh, significant inroads right across this province. Um, I think we need to be everywhere. And I'm certainly not afraid of hard work. I launched my campaign on, on Sunday here in Edmonton, went straight to Calgary, met with uh, some friends and supporters there, and then went on to Lethbridge, Medicine Hat, Red Deer. Now I'm home in Edmonton for a few days, and then I'm heading north, right? Like we need to be present in all parts of this province. And we have an incredibly strong team in Calgary, and it's going to keep growing with our hard work and determination. Um, 
And, and absolutely, we need to, to stay focused on Edmonton and Calgary, but we need to be everywhere else too. And my commitment to NDP members and folks who want to have a progressive government after the next election is I'm going to show up, I'm going to do the hard work, and I'm going to be with you building this party right across the province. Where do you think the NDP brand needs to be bolstered and how? Like you're, you're, you're losing a, a force, right? It's, it's like, you know, when Tom Brady left the, yeah. I can only work in sports metaphors. I apologize. That's fine. Maybe I like not. Sports. Maybe, maybe, maybe it's like when David Lee Roth left Van Halen. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> maybe when Beyonce left Destiny's Child. But when the personality that is leading something, when their brand is arguably bigger yeah. than the brand of the party. I'm talking about Notley's departure, obviously. Yeah. Some some folks may worry that the brand is left to suffer. Like the, so, so how do you ensure that the transition is smooth, that the brand is bolstered? What's the strategy? Talk about our values and work our asses off. Um, Rachel has been a generational leader. And of course, she, uh, she started uh, standing on her dad's legacy and then built one of her own even bigger. Um, we need to take the things that she's helped Albertans get to know about us and make sure that they see what the core values are of our party. But we need to show up. We need to be present. And we need to make sure that uh, that we're not afraid to talk about who we are uh, and how we can build this party. And, and you know, I, I want to I'm not going to try to be Rachel 2.0. I'm not Rachel 2.0. I'm my own person. I've got my own values uh, and I've got my own sassiness about me. And I hope that people get to know that. I think people are craving authenticity. So trying to recreate Rachel and the next leader, I don't think is going to work for anybody. How do you deal with Danielle Smith? Uh, she's a she's a formidable leader. She's a formidable debater. Yeah. Uh, obviously, you're capable. I think this this campaign video is already working to get a lot of people's attention. Our live chat is, is humming on that. But 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 how do you how do you how do you manage or how do you oppose effectively a leader, a compelling leader, a former broadcaster like Danielle Smith? Yeah, by being yourself. I think that when we look at what's happening in particularly uh, you know, politics on the right with a lot of strong personalities, especially male personalities, uh, being themselves and being unafraid of talking about who they are and what they believe, even if it's things that are hurtful or damaging, people resonate with that. People feel connected. So I think that I can campaign for things that are going to help people. I think I can talk about affordable housing and climate change and making sure that everyone gets a doctor and be myself and build um, more opportunities for us to be successful electorally right across this province. I think that uh, everyone, I, I'm, I keep talking about Albertans, but I think there's an appetite for people to be authentic, whatever that is, uh, right across uh, the political spectrum. Dwayne, Marie, and others are demanding, before we wrap, that I ask you about water. Sure. Um, and I believe uh, that Marie at least lives in a rural area. Uh, that's what I'm picking up from the tone of her comments. Obviously, the, I think that the wake-up call for Albertans was happening on the eastern slopes and, and open-pit coal mining exploration there. But water is on more and more people's radar as drought is an issue. We talked about that with Calgary's Mayor Gondak on our February 13th episode, if you want to talk about it, the city of Calgary and everywhere. Fire chiefs everywhere are bracing for what we're expecting is going to be a really, really bad wildfire season. How do you protect Alberta's water basin? How do you protect the rivers? What's your plan on water? Yeah, well, and and this is one of the three pillars, right? Climate and water and climate are so uh, incredibly intertwined. And when we know that there's over 50 wildfires still now burning in Alberta, this is not normal. And the fact that we have driving up from Medicine Hat uh, 
day before yesterday, dry fields all along the way. We know that we're used to having drought, but this is going to be catastrophic drought. So we need to make sure that uh, in the short term, the government is being proactive, but we need to protect our water. Uh, absolutely, we'll have more to say in, in the policy rollout of the water pillar within the uh, the climate plank, but this is uh, one of the key priorities for Alberta. I think you've got to have, uh, I'm not your advisor. I would say this to any politician and you might go, well, yeah, uh, but like courage uh, of conviction on this. I think that we don't understand enough as a general population, how many entities, and I'm mostly talking corporations, uh, are competing for our water. Yeah. Bottled water companies, you know, folks that are building big sprawling malls on the, on, on the outer rings of our cities that are wanting to divert water. And we don't understand until you it, honestly it's until you talk to farmers it's until you talk to people that work the land yeah. that understand the land how much competition there is for our water i mean do you have to be in a position where, where you take a stand and say we're not anti-business we're still quote unquote open for business politicians love that but we might have to make some tough decisions that that might in the short term hurt our reputation as a business friendly zone to protect what ultimately matters most over the long term so I think this is where I'll take that advice that Rachel gave me when I became health minister to not come here and try to bullshit you and pretend that I have the solution today. There are a lot of experts who work in this field, uh, scientists, uh, industry experts, um, naturalists, that I think we need to pull those voices together and come up with a solution that we can all have buy-in on because it's absolutely crucial that we have water for all of those different industries, but for, for children, for, for the future, for making sure that the next generation has clean drinking water too. Lots of questions about the super lab. Yeah. What would be your plan with a super lab? Well, the, my plan was to build the lab, was to make sure that we had a publicly owned uh, state-of-the-art lab, which sure would have been handy over the last five years here in Edmonton. We had the land, we had a great business case, and the construction was started. But of course, the UCP came in and they uh, they um, more than mothballed that. They you know paved over the construction that was done and, and tried to uh, pretend that that project never existed. So we'll have to see how scrambled the egg is. Obviously, the UCP tried to fully privatize. That didn't work. And then they had to bail out a corporation that was losing money because healthcare shouldn't be privatized. It should be based on need and it should be based on uh, what's going to give you the best returns. And when you add profit mar margins to things like lab services to try to give, you know, uh, extra money to corporations that are are responsible to their shareholders, that's not in the best interest. So uh, I absolutely wish we would have had a fully public lab. Uh, glad that they had to roll back some of their privatization, but we do deserve a state-of-the-art lab here in Edmonton. Last question for you. Yeah. Uh, all this talk is what happens if you do win. Uh, this one's about if you don't. Hmm. Uh, very, very good sources have told me that you already have a plan uh, that if you don't win the leadership of the Alberta NDP, that you will resign as an MLA and seek the job as mayor of Edmonton. Oh, <laughs> is this a plan? No, my plan is to win. I'm running to be the leader. That's why I launched here last Sunday in Edmonton with hundreds. If the fire department asked, it was exactly 200 people in the hall. It was um, But, uh, you know, it's important that we, uh, I'm running to win. I want to be the leader of Alberta's NDP, and I want to make sure that these uh, values are, uh, that we plan our flag as who we are, that we don't try to pretend to be something we're not, and that we get a mandate to win the next election and uh, make significant improvements on health, housing, and climate. Okay. Could you see yourself one day serving as the mayor of Edmonton? That's definitely not in my plans. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for joining us in studio. Thank Congratulations you. on launch. And I wish you best of luck the rest of the way. Thank you. You can learn more about Sarah's campaign by checking out sarahhoffman.com.
ca of course we'll continue our conversations with candidates for the leadership of the alberta ndp in days and weeks to come these conversations are presented by real talk partners like our friends at grand dog essentials quality raw food a family-owned business that wants to remind you of the benefits of feeding your dogs and cats a raw diet and they've got a couple of really cool things going on through this one month that we want to make sure are on your radar number one They've got omega-3 boosting Grand Dog Salmon Raw Pet Food Blend available. This is a great way to support your pet's immune system. Dogs are going to love it if they have intolerances to other protein options. And then that fine texture is also excellent for smaller dogs. Cats love the texture as well. You can check out feeding recommendations on the product page at granddog.ca. Just click on shop now. Plus, they've got a promo through the month of February. If your dog or cat is susceptible to bladder stones, for example, if you've got a German Shepherd, a Dalmatian, a Shih Tzu, or if your cat is suffering from chronic urinary tract infections, that's a thing. Imagine the discomfort prevent expensive trips to the vet with adored beasts easy peasy protocol it's on sale all month through february at granddog.ca our friends at kubi renewable energy are hiring right now and they want us to put out the call they say hey just because you hear we're a solar company don't think that you got to be an expert in solar if you want to work here they're looking for sales personnel they're looking for office managers people that work in hr they want to bring in the brightest talent in bc alberta and beyond to join their team as they grow green energy across canada you can check out kubi energy.ca to see more about their home solar power systems as well as what they're doing on farms in industrial parks on big huge office buildings downtown hell they put in the new installation on the edmonton convention center it looks absolutely amazing you can check out the careers link at kubienergy.ca to learn more about working there if you're looking at getting organized in 2024, you're going to want to start with a free design consultation with the team at California Closets. They're the best in the business at custom closets and storage solutions for the entire home. You can see more by checking out their website, californiaclosets.ca. From beautiful walk-in or reach-in closets to entertainment centers, kitchen pantries, home offices, garages, they design custom storage solutions that add value to your life and home by making space for what belongs. It all starts with a free consultation. I've been through the process myself. There's a reason why I'm enthusiastic when I talk about California Closets at californiaclosets.ca. And I hope that if you were at Friesen Brothers to ensure that your loved one, your friends, your family felt especially recognized on Valentine's Day, we hope it all went well. Those chocolate dipped Shortbread cookies looked absolutely unbelievable. Oh they had the chocolate-dipped strawberries. Ooh. I could crush like 30 of those things. Amazing. But the specials continue at Friesen Brothers through the month. And don't forget, they're also proud to support Heart Month. Uh, Friesen Brothers partnering with the University Hospital Foundation in fundraising for what we call the MAS. That's the Mazenkowski Alberta Heart Institute. Uh, they're providing all communities with the opportunity to pursue healthy eating habits. And they've got a wide range of heart healthy choices that you can find through the store. Could be fruits and veggies, fresh and lean Alberta meat, fresh fish, nutritious grains, or other meals uh, produced and presented by their Red Seal chefs. You'll find heart healthy products marked with a heart month icon on the Friesen Brothers flyer through the month of February. You can check it out at Friesen.com slash Heartmonth or visit them in one of their 16 locations. Friesen Brothers is Alberta grown and Alberta owned. 
the show feel a little bit different for you today? <laughs> Does the show sound a little bit different for you today? I got I to say these new microphones, if we're going to tell everyone. Let's just tell everybody. So crisp, so clean. Any chance that I have to give a shout out <laughs> and thanks to our Real Talk patrons. Yeah. Uh, these are the Real Talkers that support us on Patreon yeah. each and every month. You can go to Connect and then you go down to Patreon and learn more about the benefits of becoming a Real Talk patron. But, but your monthly contribution allows us to level up the quality of this show and you've helped us can we take that wide shot you've helped us with these lights before Uh, you've helped us uh, support other independent journalists you've picked up a camera for us before and now it's these beautiful new microphones this is Mm -hmm. uh, we're most excited for our podcast listeners Uh, some of you in past have said hey listen we love the show we listen every day but but every once in a while despite the fact that we got the most talented producer (laughs) in Alberta working this show it's been hard for you and and, and you have you have you have exceeded expectations but this new technology is going to allow us to improve our product. Well, it's improved well, even I want, more. I want to thank the listeners because they gave us some feedback. It was it was mostly our roundtables. We're getting a lot of background noise. You know, this is an older building and uh, we do our best to soundproof and do what we can in here. But these newer mics are going to cut down on the background noise. They've got a lot less bleed when we've got four people in here chatting. So tomorrow's on Zoom, but I can't wait for the, the, the first roundtable with, with five mics all live at the same time. It's going to sound incredible. Yeah, su- super good. And, and we're excited about that and very, very grateful. Um, we, we received a lot of feedback from our conversation yesterday with Dr. Michael Keeler. Um, and, and we don't assume that everybody caught it. Uh, Dr. Keeler is a, is, is a research chair in masculinities studies. How interesting is that? At the uh, Workland School of Education, University of Calgary. And we reached out to him. We wanted to talk to Dr. Keeler about his research into masculinity and, and how boys and then men understand their their role in in life in school in the workplace in sports in life and it was an awesome conversation and for some people maybe an uncomfortable one but of course we all come here to be challenged right we all come here to learn and i want to get to emails um from steen and dan in just a quick second but johnny why don't we load this up this is just a portion obviously you can find the full interview it's our february 14th episode in our youtube archives or on podcast but here's a brief exchange between me and mr Keeler, Dr. Keeler. Oh, here's a guy that's going to turn the next generation of boys soft. We're going to be we're, we're going to be we're going to be raising a generation of sissies. Uh, kids, young boys are going to forget how to be men. What do you say to the critics? We need to acknowledge the kind of way that we we as adults oftentimes and uh, authorities, the way that we influence and contribute to what we validate or valorize as masculinity. And so um, it doesn't always have to come at the cost of others as well. And and you don't always lose something when when you think about um, broadening our, our understanding of what it means to be a boy or a man. You have to acknowledge you can actually gain, you can actually grow um, as a boy, as a man, to have healthier relationships, to to be able to express yourself and not feel like you have to suppress, for example, um, emotions or fears. Uh, We all know how that relates to mental health to high rates of suicide among men. And so rather than look at softening or um, losing something as men, 
we might want to consider how this actually expands and grows masculinity in healthy and more productive ways rather than um, going to this sort of deficit idea that we lose something and I'm softening them as though it as though that's a negative thing. I love that. You gain, you don't lose. Yeah. And so Steen writes in uh, to talk at ryanjesperson.com. He says, uh, Jess, we'll be fan of the show. Uh, I caught your February 14th episode regarding masculinity and it was bugging me for the rest of the night. We screwed up his Valentine's evening. Um, How's so, that? You know, well, well, he just said it was bugging him for the rest <laughs> okay. of the night. But, but, but in a way, it's good, isn't it? Uh, if you're like me, if something's banging around between your ears and it makes you think that's a sign of a good interview. You, you invested your time in the right area. So he says, I, I found your guest, Dr. Keeler, to be insightful. And I agreed with the vast majority of what he said. But there were a few areas that I did not agree with. Uh, he says, first of all, I find the entire talk about the, the problem with sports and hockey culture uh, being a masculinity problem troubling. He says, I've played and coached hockey all my life. I still play on two beer league teams with fellas and ladies uh, that I've played with for years. And honestly, I've never experienced that toxic locker room culture uh, in any of the teams that I've played on or coached, nor have I experienced the putting down effect that your guest mentioned. You got to listen to the interview for that. He says, now I'm, I'm not, I'm not saying that these locker rooms don't exist because they definitely do. Um, but I say that the problem is not masculinity or sports culture. The problem lies with toxic people who become part of the culture, not the culture itself. The vast majority of hockey or sports culture I have found to be positive and supportive. He goes on to say, now I understand why people are discussing masculinity in the wake of this horrific Hockey Canada scandal. But once again, I feel that it, it, it's the, it's misplaced. The, you know, the problem is power, not masculinity. Take a look at these players. Most of them played junior hockey and more than likely not living with their parents during that experience. They were put on a pedestal uh, based on their athletic abilities. I don't have to tell you about the prestige and the privilege that junior hockey players have in communities. Everybody knows it. He says across Canada, that's the case, especially once they make the national junior team. Uh, for toxic people, this means that nobody calls them on their shit. It's power, not masculinity, that's the problem. Case in point, look at what happened with Lizzo. He says, I find that sometimes these conversations come off as an attack on sports and men in general. I'm not saying that they are, but I understand why some men, including me sometimes, feel that way. That from Steen, I appreciate that. And this one from Dan, who says, I really want to thank you guys for the conversation on the subject of masculinity. I think it's a really important one. Uh, Dan says, in the last few years, I left, you know, what you might describe as a good career to work part-time to finish a sociology degree. An interesting time to be studying sociology for sure. Dan says, I took courses on gender and sexuality as well as socio-legal issues of sport. He says, too often these days, men's gender classes get reduced down uh, too simply uh, to toxic masculinity. Uh, by the way, this is Ryan talking, not Dan. I thought it was interesting. Didn't you, when Dr. Keeler yesterday, I said, uh, I referenced his piece in the conversation. We linked mm -hmm. to it in the show notes for February 14th, uh, theconversation.ca, I think it is. And it was like toxic, a look at toxic masculinity or, or what the Hockey Canada scandal tells us about toxic masculinity in hockey or something like that. And the first thing he said, he goes, I actually didn't write that headline. He doesn't he, like the, the phrase. He doesn't like yeah. it. He doesn't like the phrase toxic yeah. masculinity and he explained it to us. Uh, back to Dan's email. He says, you know, this is where the conversation begins and ends on toxic masculinity, even in a University of Calgary classroom. He goes, here's a few thoughts. Number one, a commenter 
in your live chat asked, well, shouldn't be, uh, shouldn't women be in the conversation of male gender identity? Somebody yesterday said something along the lines, basically of like, you know, a man shouldn't be talking about this. Um, Dan says, let's put the shoe on the other foot and ask the very same question. What should men be able to tell women about their gender identity? I'd argue there is a role, but we need to be very careful that it's not a reductive one. It's too easy to end up with a Homer Simpson masculinity where the spectrum runs from the very worst option, which we might call toxic, to the best option, which is just a guy. He says also, as a guy who takes pride in being a great dad, a husband, a coworker in a workplace that the majority of my colleagues are women, I think there are great models out there, multiple models. I see dads playing with their kids at swimming pools. I do the same. I see characters played by Dan and Eugene Levy in Schitt's Creek providing amazing alternative models of what it means to be a man without being preachy at all. Uh, the models are there if you look for them. We just need to give them oxygen and daylight. Dan says, now here's a bit of a hand grenade question. He says, where does Travis Kelsey fit into this? Uh, you might know him as Taylor Swift's boyfriend. Uh, Johnny, I got a photo here of that moment during the Super Bowl on Sunday. Yeah. When Kelsey walked up, uh, stormed up uh, to coach Andy Reid. The team was losing, the Chiefs at the time, ultimately before winning in overtime. And we don't know why Kelsey was extremely upset. It's probably more because of the role that he was not playing in the game at that time. And he yeah. bumped Coach Reed, like bumped him pretty significantly. He was benched at the time and he wanted to be on the he field. He wanted to yeah. be out there. Yeah. And, uh, and a lot of people are talking about this. So, so Dan says, like, where does Kelsey fit into this? You know, some say his screaming at his coach was rage. Others say it was band of brothers type passion. One opinion suggests poor character. And the other implies the highest moral fiber. Is there a way to salvage or improve that old-fashioned manly man identity without the alpha dog misogyny crap? He says, I always appreciate these conversations. It's fun to hear you try to draw both sides in, and I think we need to fight. Fight to make the middle ground an acceptable place to be. Dan says, I often learn from you guys, your guests, and your listeners. Have a great day and keep it up. That's an awesome email, email from Dan. I love that. Little note on the Travis Kelsey thing. He actually went on his podcast with his brother, Jason, and his brother, Jason, tore into him He about really it. did, didn't he? He said this was, you know, disrespectful. You shouldn't have done that. And, you know, I did like Travis's answer. He, he kind of, he didn't really apologize, but he said that, hey, if he would have hauled off and punched me in the face, I would have just ate it because immediately after he did it, he knew he had done something wrong, right? But he also said if he ever stops playing football, it will be because he's not under Coach Reed. He said as soon as Reed retires, he's done too. So I, I think they do have a really good relationship, but I love what Charles Adler said on the show on Monday. He said, I think I think you had an extra shot at test or something that day because, <laughs> yeah. you know, the, again, the masculinity that that – that testosterone's obviously Super Bowl is through the roof. You're 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 jacked up, right? But yeah, that was not a good look for him. Still getting flack online for a it. tough look. And and like we should acknowledge, by the way, that just to, to get into it because we haven't mentioned it, the shooting uh, at their at their Super it's Bowl victory parade. Uh, so one person killed. Sounds like she was a young mom, a DJ. By the she way, she was a DJ, and, and I know twenty-two people. Hurt. I've heard her name before. Yeah, she's a DJ in Kansas City, and then twenty-two people injured. Unbelievable. Uh, Nine of them were children, so just yeah. very sad. Unbelievable stuff and just a horrific situation. I, I don't know about you guys. This is this is off the cuff here, but uh, I, I don't even know how to talk about gun violence in the United States anymore. Well, it was brushed I, over yesterday. It, it, it's already brushed over today. At and a it's parade. almost like like do you at a parade. 
at a, at, a, at a Super Bowl victory parade in yeah. the city where they won. It, like, I, you know, you know, there, there's, I just don't know what you say anymore well, uh, about a nation that, and, and this is a reductive oversimplification of it. Obviously, let me just say that ahead of time. But a nation just it, that is not willing, and people are going to talk to me about the Second Amendment and what's a Canadian know about this, and the answer is not very much. Uh, but I do know what I see, and I do know that this is a nation that does not take gun violence seriously. No. And when children are being shot at Super Bowl parades. Uh, when children are being shot in kindergarten classrooms and nobody takes it seriously, uh, I don't know what to say anymore. It's really scary. And then, like you just said, you see their quarterback, Mahomes, get online right after, and it's, uh, God bless them, but like it's the same stuff. You know, Kansas City strong, thoughts and prayers. I'm thinking about yeah. the city. It's the same thing every time. Same thing every time. Jeez, um, I'm not trying to be cute and segue here, but, uh, you know, we, we think about the, the shooting that occurred. Uh, thankfully, nobody hurt um, at uh, Edmonton City Hall a while ago. You know, Edmonton City Hall remains closed to the public. I feel like this is off people's radar, but the story just kind of like, I don't know. We talked about it with uh, Calgary's mayor, Jody Kondek, a couple of days ago. Um, and, and she started talking about, you know, what she puts up with in office. And obviously, it, it's a tough go for Mayor Gondek right now. We appreciate the exclusive interview that she gave us. And uh, there's a lot of people writing about it, including Rick Bell, a columnist uh, with the Calgary Sun. Uh, Gondek gave us a lot. I think almost uncharacteristically mm -hmm. candid, uh, talking about the threats, talking about some of the you know the bullshit basically that she deals with, and it, it prompted a, a great email from Thomas, um, who writes in as somebody who voted for Gondek, but but right now she finds herself mired. She's, she's yeah, we're, I want to get to this. She's she's looking at a thirty percent approval rating right mm -hmm. now, which is the lowest in recent memory uh, for any mayor, uh, or at least any mayor that's still the mayor. Uh, a seven point eight percent property tax increase, which is a tough look for any elected official. And then there's this petition, of course, to recall her. Now, as as unserious as the petition may be, as, as many uh, ulterior motives uh, that may be attached to that, it still doesn't take away from the fact that it's a, a prominent development. Uh, for an embattled mayor. Uh, here's a portion of that very, very uh, candid conversation we had on February 13th with Jody Gondek. I've had experiences over the last week where people are emboldened to come up right in my face to tell me what they think of me. I've had people send their bill over to me in a restaurant to say the mayor can pay this. People just feel like they can do and say anything they want to. It can be unnerving. I've said it before. I'll say it again. When you strike fear into elected officials, you're not doing anybody any favors. What you're doing is making their job that much more difficult. And we don't talk about fear because we're trained to say, yeah, it didn't bother me. You do feel it never mind the individual their whole family sits at home and wonders are you going to be okay are you going to make it home it's considerably more intense and it's just ratcheted up over time my optimism when i came in that we would get past polarization and back to balance that hasn't happened and that continues to concern me in fact i'm seeing us getting more and more polarized as a society that was Jody Gondek on this show on February 13th. So Thomas writes in, he says, as a Calgarian, your interview with Jody Gondek was of particular interest. Uh, so I actually gave it two listens. Uh, before deciding to write this email. Thanks, Thomas. Uh, it says, well, I echo what others have said where it's it's disappointing that the tax hike didn't come up. I mean, we did mention it, but I get, I'll take your point. He says, I can appreciate limited time the mayor had. Uh, thus, not all topics could be broached. He says, for transparency purposes, I voted for Gondek in the last election. Uh, and should she run again, I will be uh, not voting for her. In addition, I have signed the recall petition, Thomas says. While I don't subscribe to the left-wing agent accusations that many 
right-wing agents hurl at her. I do feel that she has performed poorly, which is my basis for signing the recall. He says her response to the recall on your show, a concern for how the information gathered will be used, voicing concern it's legislation that could be evoked, invoked just because she's not liked, uh, is absolutely erroneous on her part. What a great word. Erroneous, Thomas says. It's about her job performance. The policies and actions of the council that she leads has created the disappointment in me, a voter who had her name in my yard on a sign and lived in her ward during her time as a counselor. He says, what about the the immediate declaration of a climate emergency right here on Real Talk the morning after she was elected? Not that I don't support protecting climate and the environment. I just feel that file has jurisdiction outside of municipal politics and belongs at higher levels. This was symbolic at best and virtue signaling at worst. What about the arena deal? It, It was axed only to sign a worse deal. Strong armed by the province, you know, as, as a Calgary representative, this was a major letdown for Jody Gondek to have. She did a disservice to Calgarians who now have to take a larger role in the cost for reasons I fear to be caused by her hubris. What about that single use items bylaw, the, the plastic and bags bylaw? He says it's just silly and it's not a long term fix. I used uh, reusable bags for years. That's not my qualm. My issue is punishing the consumer rather than the business to protect the environment. Maybe explore biodegradability instead of pay-to-pollute policy. What about housing? He says, this is why I voted for Jody. As a counselor, I personally worked with her in a previous job in the development industry and found her to be open-minded, clever, and most of all, collaborative. And since she was elected as mayor, clever remains, but open-mindedness and collaborative is, in my opinion, gone. He says, I liked your anecdote with somebody wondering if humility would be evoked from Gondek regarding the recall. He says, I wondered the same thing, and I got none of that from your conversation with her. As a member of her home ward and a born and raised Calgarian, I'm tremendously disappointed in Mayor Gondek, says Thomas. And I know that this recall legislation will be unsuccessful, uh, or the recall initiative, let me call it. He says, but I sincerely hope this damages any chance of re-election should she decide to run again in light of this 30% approval rating. That from Thomas in Calgary. Yeah, I don't know. If, if I have one regret, uh, Johnny, of that conversation with Mayor Gondek, it would be that I didn't take, and we were up against the clock, but I should have taken 10 seconds at the very end of it to say, have you decided whether or not you're going to run again? Yeah. I mean, that just should have been, and, and she wouldn't have answered it, I guarantee, but I think that that would have been telling. Yeah. Uh, what her facial expression may have done in that moment the moment I thought that was the moment of the entire interview was when she was talking about the blowback. She was talking about the abuse. She was yeah. talking about the vitriol. You know, Brett Wilson uh, tweeting about, you know, climate activists getting into her underwear. She talks to us about that. Um, and I said, was this worse or more intense than you expected? And she just goes, yeah. Yeah, you could see it on her face. I thought that was kind of the moment yeah, and, of and that like, interview. Like maybe, you know, the the the... the the whole feeling of it wears off over time. Being an elected official these days has got to be the most trying experience for everyone. So I wouldn't blame her if, if she doesn't run again after this. You want to love your city. You want to love your province. You want to do the best you can for it. But when, uh, you know, especially when you open up X and Twitter these days, mm-hmm. I mean, you can't even read the comments. You, I, and I don't blame people for turning them off if you're not following them or whatever, because it, it can it can ruin your headspace. Yeah, 100%. Hey, by the way, don't think I don't see what's going on with all you audio nerds and geeks. Oh, they're loving Johnny. it. They're, they're, they're just, loving it. You guys are having like the most tech nerd <laughs> conversation I've ever seen in our live chat. Yeah, I agree. The isolation on the SM7Bs <laughs> is... Uh, <laughs> 
I love it. Oh, they're, I know. They're loving the warmth of your voice today. They so said. much. Yeah. So when I start to talk like this, <laughs> these mics can work with us. We also, and, and we're not breaking until we get to this because we have to show you this. Our conversation yesterday about birds and birding. Yeah. People absolutely loved it. And I'm not surprised because we, so every once in a while, there's, you know, we say news, politics, and pop culture on Real Talk. Every once in a while, it's like we need a break from talking about, like, is Polyev the next prime minister? Or is Danielle Smith listening to the wrong people? Or who's going to be the next mayor of Calgary? Every once in a while, we just got to be like, tell us more about the mighty raven. <laughs> Tell us where we can find hummingbirds in Alabama. I mean, every once in a while, we got to have those conversations. And we know that you guys love it because you tell us. And I'm going to get to an amazing video in just a second from a real talker. But first, I hope you know that this stuff doesn't happen without friends like Complete Care Restoration. More than 25 years of experience they have across Alberta. Matter of fact, right now, literally as we speak, their teams are up in northern communities. They've got their workers on the road. They have been on the road working out of camps now, for the last number of months rebuilding entire communities that were flattened by wildfire. It's just a horrific situation, but this team is getting people their lives back. They're restoring property and rebuilding peace of mind. It's what they do, and they're ready to respond 24-7. Heaven forbid your community, your business, your home is impacted by fire, flood, you've discovered asbestos, all of a sudden there's black mold, you never knew it was there, but when you knocked that wall out, there it is. Make your first stop, Complete Care Restoration. We recommend them with two thumbs up. They're the ones that built our studio right here in Mercer Warehouse. We got a lot of our partners hiring right now, which is really exciting. I think that's great for people right now that are either underemployed or maybe even work in a job where you're just not satisfied, you're not fulfilled. If you work in the engineering space, you need to today visit apexautomation.ca. This is one of Canada's fastest growing automation firms, and they're doing a ton of work in a bunch of different spaces. A lot of energy work, pipelines, natural gas processing, chemical manufacturing plants, potash mining, robotics, material handling, like, you know, kind of cool stuff, conveyor belts, overhead cranes. They're automating it all using advanced process control, distributed control systems. If we're talking your language, if you're good at what you do, but you need to work at a place that's going to help you realize your true potential, do not hesitate and reach out via the careers link at apexautomation.ca. And before we get to these amazing videos of hummingbirds, it just felt perfect to mention our friends at Eden Landscaping. Their landscape designs are intuitive. Their landscape designs are reactive to what they see happening, patterns in weather and climate. And of course, they're based on your dream, how you want to bring your outdoor space to life. So if you're dreaming of a big outdoor kitchen or a water feature or that kind of cool stairway step looking retaining wall setup that we all have that one friend that has super cool retaining walls, Eden Landscaping's your team. You can go to them and say, you know what? We want to attract as many birds as we possibly can. And Eden Landscaping will find a way to make it happen. You can get the conversation started today at landscapeedmonton.ca. 
So first, we want to give a shout out yesterday. Can you tee up that video? This is we'll describe it for people on the podcast. But but we're talking yesterday with our friends um, from the Nature Conservancy of Canada. And there's the great backyard bird count that's happening this weekend. Uh, check out the show notes. Check out our February 14th episode for for reasons why you should participate. You can literally go in your backyard for 10 minutes, take stock of the birds you see and enter it online. And if you go, well, I don't know what kind of bird that I don't know what species that is. There's a really cool app called Merlin that will help you identify those birds. And it's a really neat initiative so we encourage you to support that but boy did we ever get a bunch of messages from people including brian and Lori, who live in wainwright alberta and they sent us this video we were we were musing about hummingbirds i mean we talked about a million birds yesterday but hummingbirds in particular and brian sent us this video and i absolutely loved it so check it out this is a hummingbird in wainwright alberta uh, tapping into the flowers in their uh, planters, in their hanging basket there. And I and I emailed Brian back and I said, thank you so much for sharing the video. I said, is this like a an out of the normal, is this an unusual type thing? Whatever. Yeah. He goes, that hummingbird, and they don't know if it's one or several, he goes, that thing is here all the time. <laughs> I just thought it was absolutely cool. I watched that video like 10 times through. There's something about, I mean, to be yeah. Captain Obvious here, there's something about the hummingbird. They are. They're magical. You almost mistake them for an insect. They're so tiny. So tiny. And when you actually recognize them, I'm going to say it again. My partner, uh, she loved the show yesterday, and she was just texting me now saying she's watching it again. But, uh, yeah, Hummingbird is right up there on her, in her top three for birds. But they're they're just incredible. And, like, they're the little... The little guys who help nature take pollination from one so to the cool. other. They are they are literally keeping the ecosystem alive. And I can't even imagine, like, just the, the physicality, just the, the physics. How of fast they're able to flap wings. your wings. You can't even fast? see them. You they look even... like just a body flying. So incredible. <laughs> yeah, they're like massive dragonflies. That's what they look like. And so cool. Anyway, so we get a message here as well from Kate and Peter, uh, who tuned into Real Talk from Victoria, BC. A shout out to Victoria and to you two as well. They say, we really enjoyed. I, this is what our thumbnail should have said on YouTube. Kate helps me out here. She says, we loved the show boys and birds oh. we talked masculinity <laughs> and we talked about the backyard she says we enjoy we love the show on boys and birds and uh kate says kate and peter it's good to learn something new every day we agree uh she says on vancouver island the anna's hummingbirds are a year-long delight and kate says in the cooler months we put them uh, out these nectar feeders it's just a simple sugar and water solution boiled and cooled uh to help them survive uh, and then she goes on to talk about this video that she sent. And you know what I'm realizing, Johnny? You, you want some real talk? I'm realizing that as she sent me this, I forgot to send you the video. So why don't I load this up on my laptop and yeah, we can just ahead. play it off my yeah. laptop? That would work, right, pal? Yeah, and course. so Kate says, uh, she, she says, so here's a video. These are the Anna's Hummingbirds uh, in Victoria, B.C. And uh, this is super duper cool. And uh, this is me killing time till I figure out how to make this go full screen, Johnny. But um, she says, this bird visits all the time. Look at this. And uh, she says in the cooler months, um, they shot this on January 13th, middle of the winter. This is just Kate and Peter rubbing in how beautiful it is in Victoria all year long. <laughs> uh, but says this is shot through our kitchen window. This is our smaller feeder. Um, the birds, uh, she says, are usually quite territorial and not always willing to share. But the cold weather changes that. 
she says for people that are going to be watching on YouTube, that is, yes, she says a pair of wool socks that we put over the top of the feeder to slow down the nectar, oh. uh, the freezing process. She says it keeps it from freezing. We use feeder heaters as well, uh, frequently changing the nectar to keep the juice flowing for our little friends. I'm going to play that again so we can keep playing while we're talking here. She says, uh, congratulations, by the way, say Kate and Peter for providing an informative talk show in an age of incrapification of corporate media news. Of course, Kate and Peter uh, quoting their own premier, David Eby, uh, who took a big swipe at Bell Media for slashing 4,800 jobs earlier this week kate and peter say keep up the great work and thank you no 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 thank you two yeah. for what you're doing number one keeping these beautiful they're called anna's hummingbirds uh for keeping them alive and also for doing your part look at that three of them at the feeder um people on the podcast kind of interesting they're not when i think of hummingbirds i think almost like not not peacock type but like they have kind of these cool greenish kind of yeah. colors some of them but these ones are almost more colored like a Almost like a chickadee, or a, I'm getting I'm getting out of my depth. Little dinosaur. What the hell I'm talking about with birds? But uh, <laughs> that was uh, such a cool conversation. That was Sean Fegan who joined us yesterday from the Nature Conservancy of Canada. Um, I love this from LJ who says hummingbirds are very mean little birds. Is that true? I didn't know, <laughs> I didn't that. know that. I guess I'm gonna have to learn a little bit more about uh, hummingbirds. Are they the um, bullies of the bird world? Or I wonder. Well, <laughs> maybe they are. It's like if you look at you know, we had a beloved Chihuahua in our family. Her name was yeah. Chica. May she uh -huh. rest in peace. And Chica taught me how to how to manage and deal with dogs because Chica was kind of the first dog in my life and okay. I just love her so much uh, she couldn't stand me but I also think that that's because she we have this great relationship um, and and our family laughs because I would always say Chica would bark at me and I'd be like Chica and I kind of and then people would say is everything okay and I would say we're, I'd say I'd say we're just working on our relationship but I but I always thought no wonder these chihuahuas and these little teacup Yorkies and these tiny little dogs they got to be a little yeah. snarly because it, there's the pecking order sure and they gotta you know they, they say that, that no breed bites more humans yeah. than the dachshund yeah. the dachshund did you i don't know if people know that yeah, so the smaller the, dogs the smaller ones got to be a little snarly they got to be so maybe the maybe the hummingbirds are a little yeah. more uh, assertive our our little chihuahua we've got one at home uh, loves to be out there watching the birds i can't wait till uh, she meets a hummingbird. Maybe they'll get into a little scrap. But yeah, I do agree. <laughs> like we were just talking about this the other day. Like uh, everyone falls in love with our dog. Her name's Priscilla online. Amazing. And we're name. like, you don't want to meet her in person. She hates everyone. And she, they don't really bite. They do this thing where like she does it to me when like because my partner, my wife, Jatinder, is her whole world. Even when I touch or kiss or hug my partner. She bites me, but it's 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 more of an aggression. It's like a security thing. They're not really chomping at you, but I do believe it. I do believe that uh, Chihuahuas are probably one of the more aggressive dogs out there. Yeah, Cactus Sheriff says y'all need to enter Hummers into the Urban Dictionary and reread your comments. Cactus, come on. Uh, Lauren says when my sister lived on Maine Island, M A Y N E, on Maine Island, says the number of well, there that's the comment. The number of Hummers was incredible. The humming birds they're talking about of course he says yeah maybe they have small bird syndrome how about this tip from peaches who says you got to come out by genesee uh, to see the bald eagles it's absolutely awesome there is nothing nothing like yeah. the bald eagle I know. In, my, in my mind like bald eagle is just a badass yeah. bird you see one in the sky you're like you feel like a flag waving behind it like it's just like it's so regal right it's 
did I ever tell you the story? We'll, we'll wrap with this, but it's story time, kids. Gather around. Uh, I was hiking with some friends uh, that we were doing the hiking. The, it's called the Brazo Loop. It's really a, a remarkable and very special uh, backcountry uh, track, about about five, six days, depending on your pace, uh, depending on how much you party in the evening. And um, and, and we're walking up and we're, and we're coming up to this lake kind of midway. It was like a, it was a midday. It was a great lunch stop okay. on the hike. We weren't going to camp there, but a great lunch stop. And we come over this crest and we're walking on the path. And then I see something that felt like and I'm, I'm, I'm being silly here but like it almost felt like sort of like a satanic ritual like you, you came up to this spot and it was like what is this because there was a perfect circle of bones of like like fish bones and like all kinds of tiny looked like maybe like like uh like gopher like spines and skulls and like i'm, I'm talking like imagine like an inch or two deep like in like a perfect circle on the ground and i just was like what or wow. like, what and it stopped me in my tracks and you know when you're hiking you're kind of on this pace like one foot in, you know but i just i just like threw on the brakes and i'm just staring at it and then of course you kind of hear this noise and i look up and there is a bald eagle nest what and it was like the coolest thing wow that i have ever seen in my life and I mean, the obvious assumption here, and maybe we'll hear from an ornithologist or somebody that understands this better, is that the eagles obviously would catch their prey, maybe take it up to the nest. Maybe they had, what do you call them, chicks yeah, or whatever, the you know, yeah. baby, baby eagles, whatever you call them, chicks, uh, up there, and then they feed them, then they eat, and then I would imagine clean out the nest and sure. like, throw the bones over the side. But it was it had created this circle of this like boneyard, <laughs> and it was one of the coolest <laughs> things that I've ever seen in my life. Wow. Yeah. Um, uh, and that's that. So I recommend hiking the Brazo Loop. You have a blast. Hey, thanks for uh, taking part in this episode of Real Talk. We want to, right now, just ask, if you liked what you heard today, go ahead and smash that like button on YouTube. If you don't subscribe to us on YouTube, please do. Tell your friends about the podcast. Let them know that we're sitting down one-on-one with every serious candidate in the Alberta NDP leadership race, and those talks will continue as that candidate list grows. Coming up on Friday's Real Talk, we're talking February 16th. We celebrate Black History Month. We hope you'll join us. Take care. Real Talk is hosted by Ryan Jesperson, Executive Producer Josh Dunford, Technical Producer John Hicks, General Manager Katie Cook Chivers, Account Coordinator Lawrence Durlego, Human Resources Lena Shepard, Website Design Mike Johnston, VoiceOver by me, Carrie Skelton. Real Talk's editorial board is Sapria Duvetti, Ahmed Ali, Brandy Morin, Anne Castleman, Corey Hogan, Harmon Candola, Catherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson. Member Emerita, Julie Rohr. Real Talk is recorded in Edmonton, Alberta on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional and ancestral territory of the Cree, Dene, Blackfoot, Soto, and Nakota Sioux, home to the Métis settlements and the Métis Nation of Alberta. Real Talk is a Relay Project. For more, check out ryanjasperson.com.